Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. I'm Sarah Isger. Jonah Goldberg and Mike Warren joining me today, where we're going to talk about Taylor Swift for the next six hours. (laughs) Buckle your (laughs) seatbelts. the hill and while we're sort of used to the horseshoe theory of politics when it comes to social media companies this actually looked like it might have been real agreement not even horseshoe politics agreement are we about to see legislation come out of the u.s congress you know it feels like it uh i don't normally just go with a sort of vibes thing but if you just watch the interviews with various senators and stuff it feels like they've come to a place where they think they can actually do real legislation. I guess it feels like we're going to get legislation. What it exactly looks like, I don't know. But there seems to be this movement that you have to protect kids. Amy Klobuchar and others have have wanted to do a whole bunch of stuff for a very long time. I don't know what the actual legislation will ultimately look like. Um, If somebody else has better visibility on that, feel free to chime in. But it does feel like something's coming. and And it should be pointed out that particularly Mark Zuckerberg, has been asking for years for Congress to regulate him, right? And this has always bothered me because this is, not to go all Gabriel Colco, but this is one of these classic things where the big incumbents want regulation because it is a way to lock them in as, as themselves in as big incumbents and lock out smaller competitors. Um, and we can talk about that, but I just, this one thing that just really bothered me that I just want to get out there. So like, I believe it was Josh Hawley, he does this stunt where he has these parents of kids who were cyberbullied uh, horribly, some, you know, died, you know, terrible, terrible stuff. Nothing but sympathy for the parents in every regard. And Holly demands, you know, Zuckerberg, will you apologize to these people to their faces or something like that? And Zuckerberg gets up and does it. I don't think he should have done it the way he did it, but I also understand that's a tough spot to be in. I just want to make a point and we move on from it. But like, it is not the job of the, I don't like these social media companies. I don't like Facebook very much. I don't like any of them very much. I don't like their role in social life. I think they have a lot to answer for. I don't hate them either, you know, but I just, I'm not, a, I'm not here to represent them. That said, their obligations is to provide shareholder value to their shareholders. It is not to protect your children. Now, I think you should do more to protect your children, but that's not their job. You know whose job it is? The senators who are in the room, they're the ones who have the power to do what they think these companies should do. And instead, this idea that like the apology is owed by the company and not by the people whose sworn obligations is to actually do right by these parents and by kids generally. There's just a really creepy asymmetry to it that I did not like. And it gets to our whole Congress isn't doing its job thing. That, my friend is a real hot take. (laughs) So a few things. One, I just want to emphasize what you said about Zuckerberg and others wanting regulation. Yes, they want it in part, like all regulation, all large entities want regulation to prevent new entrants into the system. But in this specific case, I also think the reason would be that Zuckerberg is fine with spending a lot more on sort of the user side but he doesn't want to spend so much more than all of his competitors are spending. And so this is actually about 
him acknowledging that he could be doing more, but he doesn't want to be at a competitive disadvantage with some of these other platforms. And so this is actually about him wanting the other large platforms to be regulated and they all have to spend the same amount of money on protecting your children, which kind of, I guess, to me, Jonah, undermines your point a little, i.e., they know that it would be better for them to spend more on this, but they don't want to do it unless everyone has to do it. And if everyone isn't going to do it, they're fine with a few kids committing suicide every month. I mean, that's pretty gross. I agree it's gross. And again, I wasn't trying to come to their defense. I'm just, it's not so much that I want to say it's not their job to do the moral and correct thing. My point is, it is the job of the senators to do the moral and correct thing. I like that phrasing better. Okay. Because it is, look, yes, they have a responsibility to their shareholders, but they do have a responsibility as an American company to do the moral and correct thing and not knowingly kill American children. I don't care if it's better for their bottom line if a few American children die. I don't think they were knowingly killing American children, right? <laughs> I, I think that's a little strong there, too. Um, my only point is, is that... Statistically, they did. They knew that without more people in their user experience section, that statistically, X percent of people were going to commit suicide. Yeah, and the senators who said for years... If we don't do something, kids are going to die and then didn't do anything, have the same statistics in the indictment against them. That's that's the only point I'm getting. at. I also have a issue. You know, <laughs> there's a reason we haven't talked about what these specific bills will do, because it's not clear what they'll do that will actually help. So some of the proposals stop Kassam Act will give victims new avenues to report child sexual abuse material to Internet companies. The Report Act would expand the types of potential crimes online platforms are required to report to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Uh, one would make it a crime to distribute an intimate image of someone without that person's consent. It would push law enforcement to coordinate investigations into crimes against children. Another would create a legal duty for certain online platforms to protect children. Uh, you know, some of these will do more than others. Some of them, you're sort of shocked they're not already law. Mike, jump in on this. Here's my problem with talking about any of this stuff, which is in theory and at the surface level, all of what you just described, the various legislative efforts sound like a good idea to me. Um, I have no confidence that the people who are drafting this legislation understand the, the technology, understand the social you know, milieu in which they're trying to regulate. I mean, I think it's gotten better than uh you know talking about a series of the internet is a series of tubes um but i don't think it's gotten much better and so my problem here is a lack of confidence in the legislators themselves to know that what they're pushing and what they're arguing for uh will actually solve any of these problems i i, I just i i feel like i don't know enough is 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 more more resources uh, required for reporting uh, abuse or, or or things like that. Like, is that is that really going to be go, going to help? I, I I don't know the answer to that. I I trust that. I actually do believe that that I agree with you, Sarah. Like, Mark Zuckerberg does not want Facebook to be a place where uh, kids are killing themselves. Um, that's that doesn't seem like that's what he got into this for. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm going out there on a limb. Um, but I, I don't know. I, my 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 sort of small government uh, uh, muscles kind of 
twitch when when I hear these big companies asking to be regulated. Um, as Jonas said, it, it it and and I mean I don't know in the in the DC area like I hear commercials on podcasts and radio and TV all the time for years about these social media companies and particularly Facebook, uh, you know, asking for this stuff. Um, I, I just have no confidence that anybody any of this stuff is uh solving problems which ultimately rely on on sort of parents and families to have knowledge and have information about what their kids are doing what they can do to limit or prevent their kids uh from being on platforms where this kind of stuff happens i mean at the end of the day basically your kids should not be on these platforms at all if you really want to protect them um they shouldn't even have a smartphone. I mean, somebody once mentioned that, you know, you should give your kid a smartphone, a smartphone when you are okay with them being okay with them looking at porn, not okay with them having the ability to maybe see what, but they will see, you know, bad stuff the moment they get a smartphone. And it's, it's really hard to navigate that as a parent. And, um, you know, maybe maybe what we need is more, uh, uh, more support or more guidelines or more sort of uh, dialogue with like individual parents and families about best practices. And I don't know if Congress is the right like place to do that. Well, this gets to something that David and I have talked about on the legal ability to prevent children from getting on the platforms at all, for instance and how different states have approached that. You know, New York recently declared it an environmental toxin. Um, Montana and Utah have tried things as well. You know, my very quick take on that is that if you have the evidence to show that it is addictive in the same way that tobacco is, um, you're getting closer to being able to regulate it like tobacco. However, the more you treat it and talk about it like a violent video game, the more you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And smart. you look back on the violent video game controversy of the 90s, and it kind of sounds silly here in hindsight, right? Violent video games did not call cause drive-by shootings, for instance. There's now no evidence that it caused any uptick in violence whatsoever. So it was a bit of a moral panic um, that turned out to be false. I don't think this is a moral panic that's false, but you do legally at least, need to be able to show more like tobacco, less like violent video games, because, of course, the Supreme Court held that the violent video games um, were protected by the First Amendment. Jonah, I want to push you on something. Like a subway platform? <laughs> the top of an oil rig? This is this is social media cyberbullying here. Yeah, this. yeah. Uh, who's bullying who, Mike? I'm That's not a sure. good question. Good question. <laughs> I, I want to put it. I want to put it to you, uh, Sarah. Uh, no offense. More people the dispatcher are afraid of you than they are afraid of me. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> yeah. See, I think I'm being bullied by Jonah calling me a bully. <laughs> you like this jujitsu? I know by him yeah. saying that I want to push him onto a subway platform. That I, is him bullying me by making it sound like I'm bullying him. I am putting you at the wrong end of the oppressor oppressed. That's right. That's exactly what you're doing. I know it. It's funny because it's true though. Anyway, go on. (laughs) (laughs) All those bills that I talked about actually have already passed out of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. Meaning, so that's the committee that had this hearing yesterday. That's what the committee Josh Hawley's on. They've already voted on all those bills. They already said yes to all those bills. They just died 
in the Senate slash or didn't pass the House. So does that change then your perception of Hawley? He already voted for all these things. He did his job. No, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, at the same time, I think we all know, and I, I again, I don't have granular insight on, on the way these things have wound their way through the legislative process. But we all know that as a matter of basic D.C. process, there are many, 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 I'll stipulate a lot more many, opportunities to be nominally in favor of something while at the same time avoiding responsibility for actually seeing it accomplished. Sure. Voting for it in committee, knowing that it's not going to pass the Senate, that is a way to get, could be a way to have your cake and eat it too, is right. You tell the lobbyists, hey, look, I'm going to vote for this thing. And then I'm not going to, but then we're not going to really do any, but we know the fix is in and it's not going to go anywhere on the floor. I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of that, but one of the senators yesterday, Marsha Blackburn, it was somebody like that was saying they can't get this done because you guys send all these lobbyists up here. I get that argument and that's a perfectly fine argument for one of the three of us to make. But it is a little weird for the elective representative to say, we, I, you, I can't do what I think is moral and right to save children's lives because you guys send lobbyists up here that stop me. You know, it's a weird stop me before I kill again kind of thing. <laughs> but, and, and can I say one, one other thing? I mean, whatever the value in voting on this for Josh Hawley, I mean, the, the actual scene with Hawley you know, asking Zuckerberg to sort of uh, holding a gun to Zuckerberg's head, saying, apologize to these parents. I mean, it was, you do have to ask yourself, what, who is that serving at, at this point to sort of do a performative apology like that for the camera? I mean, we know what these hearings. You're aware of the U.S. Senate, right? Exactly. But, but my, my, <laughs> yes, I know. But uh, my, this is my point, um, is, uh, you know that's that's what Holly is choosing to uh, perform. It's the it's the apology that I mean. Look, it, maybe it meant something to these parents. Maybe it didn't. But um, that's that tells you where where his priorities are. All right. Moving on to the next topic that Congress is woefully failing at the southern border. As of taping this podcast, there is. Still a compromise bill pending in the Senate, although many now think it is on life support at best. Mike, this has been interesting because normally both sides don't want to compromise and sort of rile up their flanks about why something is the worst bill ever. This time, however, I found it very interesting. The left seems largely on board to the extent there's sort of the far left open borders folks who are upset about it. We're not hearing a lot from them. Joe Biden said that he would sign what would be the most comprehensive amount of, you know, increase in border security, like in my lifetime, probably. But it's the right saying, no, we could get more. This isn't enough. This will not actually secure the border. That's what they're saying. So my questions to you are, A, how much is that the problem that the politics on this have turned so much that the right's like, we don't have to compromise at all. We can get a lot more versus Donald Trump saying stupidly that he wants to run on it and doesn't want the problem fixed before the election. I mean, aren't those the same problem? Uh, I mean, the, 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 the political problem of 
of performance over results. Uh, I mean, that's how I, I, I see it as all uh, as all part of the same thing. It's not about the substance because if it were about the substance, Republicans would Republicans would 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 realize that they they were getting as much as they could possibly get out of a Democratic Senate and Democratic president on this. No, but their point is like, no, no, no. We're, Joe Biden thinks this is so toxic to his reelection. We can get more from him right now. So like Ted Cruz's point is I that the, the quote unquote shutdown would only happen after reaching 5,000 crossings a day. And Ted Cruz is like, why are we letting 5,000 people come illegally a day by definition instead of saying it's zero? The border is shut down. There's no more asylum from crossing the border if you cross illegally. So that's the sort of point that Ted Cruz is saying needs to be in the bill for it to actually be about having a secure border. But at least in Donald Trump's theory of the world, even if you shut down the border with, you know, sort of a King of the North style, what's the Game of Thrones wall? Um, the, the name of the wall? I mean, the big ice wall that... Yeah, the big ice yeah. wall that's like, you know, <laughs> thousands and thousands of feet tall. Whatever. Like, even if we built that on the southern border, Donald Trump would say, no, don't build that until after I win election because I want to be able to run on Joe Biden failing at the border. And if that gets built while Joe Biden's president, it takes the issue away from me. I see those as totally different. Republicans saying this isn't everything we want. Let's get everything we want versus no, even if we got everything we want, let's keep the issue alive. I guess I guess my my response to that is um, both viewpoints are animated by the same idea, which is that it's not actually about solving a problem. And I would say on on the congressional side of this equation, there is, it seems to me, a lack of seriousness about like achieving something good from their perspective instead of something perfect and using it as, uh, you know, sort of, sort of incremental uh, change to to say, look, we got as far as we could. Uh, we can do better with a Republican president. Um, I mean, maybe I just don't understand uh, how how the politics of immigration work. But Donald Trump ends up saying out loud what I think is animating people in Congress, which is this is about politics. And if you if you do uh, a half measure from a Republican standpoint in order to get something done. Uh, then you take away, you take away the the thing that we really want, which is an issue to hit Joe Biden over the head with. So again, it, I I see them as two sides of the same corner, whatever the 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 cliche metaphor is. Like, it, like we're not talking about the substance of stopping what's happening at the border, uh, because if we were, like like this would have been this this would be going through. And then Republicans could turn around and say, we did as much as we could, but we need to do more. And we'll take a quick break to hear from Tax Network USA. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. They are not your friends. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best possible deal. Whether you owe $10,000, 
$10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you are on a fixed income, they can help financially resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash dispatch. Jonah, I think I disagree with Mike a little, at least on the sort of margins of this, which is you're not gonna like you're not gonna get another border bill coming around this universe anytime soon. So yeah, you want to get everything you can when you've got the political will to actually move something, and the left has the motivation right now to move something. Once this thing is done, the left's political motivation will have evaporated, and so I do think it's hard in that situation to know the difference between good enough, like we're going to have to compromise on something versus no, we could get a little bit more. And again, ask my three and a half year old because that's what he does every single night. He tries to measure the difference between the most he can get of Paw Patrol versus could he get another half episode? First of all, I mean, as we all agree, Trump is just a bad actor in this and making it more difficult for everybody. But he's saying the quiet part out loud. It's not like he's the first president to ever Oh, want right. to leave no, an I... issue for a campaign. It's just what's so unique about Trump is he'll just say he's doing it. I mean, Barack Obama had both houses of Congress in the White House. Didn't do it. Donald Trump had both houses of Congress in the White House. Didn't do it. Now Donald Trump's just saying the part out loud. Yeah, but, but, but in politics and particularly in democracies, there's something to be said for not saying the quiet part out loud because it changes things, right? And yeah. um. It's sort of like the Seinfeld, where once you say you're returning the coat for spite, that's it, right? So it's sort of like, I, I was among the first, many other conservatives have made this argument that Joe Biden's executive orders um, are kind of dictatorial too, that uh, and anti-constitutional. And I've been beating up on those kinds of executive orders for a very long time. There's just something qualitatively different when you actually say, I will be a dictator, right? It just, it changes the vibes. And so when <laughs> you have, because uh, the, the, at least the affiction that you're, go you're playing by the rules is an important thing for people to hide behind. And so when Trump basically flat out says, I want this as an issue more than I care about fixing the problem. I mean, he didn't say blatantly that, but you, it's, he's not subtle. Um, uh, it poisons the well for people who actually want to get a better bill from the right, right? It, because no one can say, in good, particularly today's GOP, which let's say is not exactly um, highly resistant to following orders from Donald Trump, there's no reason to believe Ted Cruz is arguing in good faith when he says, oh, I just want a better bill. Um, and at a time in going into a presidential election when Donald Trump has made it clear he wants no bill. Um, and so that just poisons the well a little bit. I also, I have a real problem. I thought the AO that you guys did on immigration stuff was very useful, very interesting. Uh, there were some, what do we call it? Lacunae, um, that I thought were notable. Um, insofar as like you mentioned at one point, visa overstays being an issue, but like visa overstays are actually a huge issue, which is not discussed by anybody. Like no one knows the full number, but like it's a big number. You know why people aren't up in arms at the same level of visa overstays, oh, sure. right? Because it's Canadians. <laughs> right. It's people who were able to fly here. Yeah. Right. And they're yeah. No, it's I agree. Au it's au pairs who overstay the welcome. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. exactly. <laughs> it's 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 uh H1B coders in Silicon Valley. Um yep, yep, yep. nonetheless, there's also like 
I, I listened to my friends at National Review and a couple different podcasts talking about this stuff. And the one assertion that sort of flies in the face of the stuff that you guys are saying on AO, and I'm sure it can be reconciled because I think it's all in good faith. There are a lot of Republicans who believe Biden has all the authority and power he needs right now to shut down the border. And part of the argument that you are making is that, no, once you claim asylum, you are no longer an illegal immigrant. And I think the response from conservative from from that crowd is, yeah, but the law still says you can detain these people. And we're not we're not doing that. Right. Because we don't have the places to detain them. Right. All of our detention facilities are full. And so the problem I have with opposition to the bill and again, another reason why to assume a little bit of bad faith is not just what Trump is saying. It's that a lot of people, including uh, J.D. Vance, is going on whipping against it without having seen it. Um, a lot of people have come out against it not knowing what's in it. And um, that doesn't bespeak of a really good faith desire to improve upon it if you're just saying it's a dead letter before even looking at it. It, it, would, it, it would, though, it would be benefit James Lankford to show a little leg here. I agree. You know, um, yeah. and, and our colleague John McCormick has pointed out that the fact that he hasn't um, means that all the straw men uh, that, that J.D. Vance and company have been going after, uh, there's, there's, there's nobody to, there, there's no way to deny those right. things effectively. And at some point you start asking yourself if he's not coming out and pushing back on some of this stuff, Maybe some of those straw men are more true. Steel. Yeah, maybe they're a little, little steelier. Yeah, although he, he has pushed back a little bit on this 5,000 a day thing. Yes. And, yeah. But I, I mean, I take your point, to paraphrase the Washington Post, straw men thrive in darkness. And, <laughs> and um, so for me, first of all, part of my problem with this is I've always been a little squishier on immigration stuff, not on the border stuff. I, I am totally with Donald Trump when he says nations need borders or they're not nations. I, I, I have no problem with that kind of talk at least when it's not connected to other things he says. But m my tribe for 30 years has been saying, no, 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 no comprehensive immigration reform. Do enforcement first. Do enforcement first. Then we'll worry about what to do with these people. And now this is essentially an enforcement first bill. If you read what the enemies of the, the left-wing opponents of this thing say about it, they think it's an outrage. Right. They're not happy with this. They don't think it's some sort of Trojan horse for letting in more illegals. And so I think part of the problem is, is that for the for the right, they think there's no reason to say to credit Biden when he says. If you give me the if you pass this bill, I'll I will close the border tomorrow because they think he can close the border today. And so it's bad faith. And so I think strategically where the right screws up on this is if if they're correct, and I don't think necessarily correct, if they're correct that the that Biden just doesn't want to close the border and therefore won't if he gets this piece of legislation, then this piece of legislation would be an albatross politically for Biden. Because Congress would say, we did our part, we gave you the powers that you said you needed to shut the border and you're still not shutting the border, that would kill him politically. And if the right is wrong, then Biden will do stuff to shut down the border, which gives you the policy that you want. So I just, I, I don't, I don't buy the argument about uh, making the perfect the enemy of the good on this one. So a few things. One, I think, uh, so first of all, and we said this on AO, there are things that Biden could be doing. 
They're just small. They're Band-Aids on what I've called a sucking chest wound at the border. But yes, there are things he could be doing more. The reason that Biden's not doing them... Wasn't sucking chest wound at the water one of the Smiths' best songs? (laughs) It would be so good. I just... (laughs) Dropping just beautiful titles here all over the place. (laughs) He could be doing more. The reason he's not is because he also, for the first time ever, like... The incentives have shifted such that a president finally wants to hide behind Congress. Mm -hmm. There's a few things he could do. They might get enjoined by courts, frankly. um, And then it wouldn't really lower the numbers. Because really what we're actually needing to do here is convince the cartels that their business model is drying up. And that's why most of the things that are in Biden's repertoire that he could do actually won't make much difference at the border at all because the cartels will not believe that their model has dried up until two things, right? Huge amounts of money on enforcement, meaning detention facilities, more CBP officers, 10 times the number of immigration judges, and changing the asylum law. Just overnight, you've got to change it. Those are the things that will convince the cartels that their model doesn't work anymore. Anything else? Yeah, your daily numbers may go down a little Um, but it's not going to fundamentally change what's happening at the southern border. So the reason that Biden wants the congressional, like, help is, A, maybe he actually wants to secure the border, okay? Like, that's the non-cynical version. But even if you want to believe the most cynical version, it's that, yeah, Joe Biden actually thinks that this is a problem politically, and he wants to say that Congress has now passed a law. Congress has tied his hands. He must secure the border. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't get crap from his left flank either. And the numbers actually go down and the incentives for the cartels change. I mean, this is like a win-win-win for Joe Biden if he can get Congress to do it, which is why I think he's willing to agree to nearly anything that will pass out of Congress. You'll notice he's like, yep, yep I'll sign it. He doesn't know what's in that bill. Yeah. He doesn't care because it's such a win if Congress will pass something to give him that political cover, which is... That's where it gets a little fascinating for me if you're Ted Cruz or some of these other guys where it's like, look, Biden's going to have to sign this no matter what. The Democrats in the Senate are kind of going to have to pass this pretty much no matter what. So, yeah, why would we make this reasonable when we have the chance to make it actually the, the you know, <laughs> the Game of Thrones 10,000 foot wall at the north? But this this is where like uh, the inter-congressional politics, my friend on the other side of the aisle or my friend, like this is where this comes into play. And the fact that the fact that the border hawks in this debate are seen as being sort of the most unreliable partners, legislative partners, uh, you can't, you can't rely. I mean, look, they all remember Ted Cruz's Obamacare shutdown. I mean, like you're these things matter like these interpersonal relationships or or lack thereof matter and um it turns out like it's it's really hard to trust ted cruz on on these things if you're actually sort of crafting this is why it's it's james lankford who's you know running this uh this operation um he's got a lot of respect from people on both sides uh, of the aisle there. So um, it'll be interesting. I mean, Ted Cruz and John Cornyn are the only Republican senators on the border at this point. And Ted Cruz clearly, as you've noted, like his incentives are not necessarily going to be aligned 
to push this bill across the finish line. Although, don't forget, he's up for a pretty serious challenge this election year. And being able to say that the border got secured on his watch could actually be good, meaning there actually may be things as long as he can get to say, like, I got this in the bill. Right. That will get him over um, that that hump. But all eyes should be on John Cornyn. If John Cornyn says this is a good bill that will actually do something for Texas, I think he's going to be the sort of most honest broker once we actually see what's in the bill. And if John Cornyn says, like, this ain't it, it's going to, you know, there's poison pills in it. Um, There's a lot of loopholes that allow tons of people to cross the border still, as in the cartels are not going to lose their business model. You know, I'm very open to hearing John Cornyn say that. Well, let's not forget that John Cornyn is among those in the talks, you know, being talked about as a potential successor to Mitch McConnell. Uh, That will also color uh, his motivations. All right, Jonah, last word to you before we move on to Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah, I don't have much more to add. I, I do think just because I'm going to run out of opportunities to, I might run out of opportunities to throw this metaphor into the conversational miasma. Um, I, I've been thinking about the border thing, about the way it eats at people in more and more psychological terms. And, uh, you know, I'm a fan of Jonathan Haidt. There's all sorts of stuff. The, the language that Trump uses about vermin and disease and all these kinds of th- stuff. It's I don't think it's intellectually smart, but it is very lizard brain smart um, to talk in those terms. Um, and like you remember when everyone freaked out about Ebola coming in under Obama and it was so disproportionate to the actual facts and the science of it. But there's just something about diseased people coming in that freaks people's out, out in all sorts of ways. Anyway, I've, I have, I've been, it's an analogy slash metaphor, but the BP oil spill caused a lot of liberals to lose their minds because they could not handle the visual every day. You know, there was the, just the steady cam of that oil constantly pumping in. And Frank Rich wrote these unhinged things and, oh, you have to stop this now, you have to stop it. And it was like, you could tell it was some, it was like a telltale heart thing in the back of their lizard brains that they just, they couldn't handle it. And even though you could try to explain to them that as terrible as that spill was, and certainly the loss of life was horrible, the volume of oil versus the volume in the Gulf of Mexico made it unlikely to be the environmental catastrophe that people wanted to make it out to be. But there was just something about the constant visual of it that aided people. And I think the border stuff works the same way. And I'm not saying this to dismiss it. I think it's a perfectly legitimate thing. And that's why I keep thinking it's so weird to credit the let's keep it as an issue thing. I don't know that for normal, a lot of normals out there, who actually really are freaked out about just the constant streaming across the border. I don't know that they are like, they care more about getting Trump reelected than they care about fixing the border. And I could see in town halls and that kind of stuff, a lot of normies who are probably pro, mostly pro-Trump but, or, pro, or Republican, nonetheless saying, we've been saying for years, we got to turn off this spigot. We got to, we got to, we got to, curtail this and now you're saying i need to wait another 10 months or more for someone else to get in so we could turn it up we can turn the valve even tighter than what this would do i'm just not sure that the politics are going to work perfectly as a as a conservative based issue but i could be wrong 
All right. So now we're moving on to the topic that we had to talk about. But I do... Here's what I'm actually curious about, and I'll set it up a little. Taylor Swift is a very, very big deal in the United States and internationally. She's wildly popular. She's incredibly famous. And uh, the first, I'm going to forget like how exactly she's the first something something female billionaire, but like she's the first female musical billionaire to earn it only from her music, something to that effect. Then she starts dating Travis Kelsey, a very, very famous football player before he started dating her, who'd already won two Super Bowls. Okay, so now we have this conspiracy theory. Taylor Swift endorsed Joe Biden back in 2020 that the Super Bowl is rigged and that after Travis Kelsey wins his third Super Bowl, something to the effect of he's going to propose to Taylor Swift and then they're going to endorse Joe Biden and this is how the left is going to steal the election or something. Yada, 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 lobster bisque, okay? There's then been all these attacks from right-wing pundity types on Taylor Swift. Everything from, you know, she's a lefty who's like poisoning young girls' brains to um, she's not hot and who would want to date a 34-year-old who's not a virgin, which is a pretty gross thing to say. <laughs> Jonah's raising his hand. We're going to tell I'm him. happily married, but like, uh-huh. like I, I find Taylor Swift, if I were signal, heaven forbid, I find her eminently dateable and I would have found her eminently dateable in my <laughs> 20s <laughs> as an older woman. I just want to put it out there. I think that it, it is a defensible claim that she passes certain tests for dateability mm-hmm. aside from her billions of dollars and and all that and being 34 and not being a virgin are not disqualifying <laughs> for a whole range of men at various ages. I'm just going to I just want to level set here, right? Thank you. I just Thank you. Uh, okay, so go on. Okay. So, I checked in with some of my more super maga friends. All right, the ones who believe all sorts of things that I don't believe in Mm -hmm. sort of what I would call mainstream conspiracy theories, Um, including stuff about the 2020 election, for instance. Not a single one of them thinks any conspiracy theory about Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, yeah, she may endorse Biden, but she endorsed him in 2020, so like, I don't get it. Like, what's the conspiracy theory here? Um, They don't think the Super Bowl is rigged by Joe Biden, and they don't really understand why Travis Kelsey winning a third Super Bowl, like what, how does winning the Super Bowl change any of this or affect any of this? Like it doesn't, it's not like it, then they'll become famous. Right. <laughs> They're incredibly famous right now, both of them. Okay, so this gets me to my question for you guys. The people who are pushing this stuff, the right-wing MAGA folks, either they're doing it for attention because, you know, if Donald Trump is the way to get a lot of attention, you know, it gets even more attention talking about the other two most famous people in the world right now, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. So as long as you're saying stuff, you then become relevant if you're talking about people who are relevant and they don't actually believe any of it. It's it's all just the grift, right? It's it's churning the chum to get themselves as part of, you know, in the coattails type thing. Okay, that's one. Number two is that the right wing is so broken that they see someone who is popular on the left as a threat to Donald Trump and that um, they believe that they can bring down Taylor Swift's popularity among the right and that they see her endorsement of Joe Biden as a real threat to people who would otherwise vote for Donald Trump and that this actually is a political move that may or may not work, but that 
you know, they think they're doing it because it could bear fruit. I think there's evidence for both of these. And I'm curious where you guys fall. Jonah, coming to you first. Is it a grift? Or is it to help Donald Trump? So um, I actually did a survey. There are other theories. Uh, I, I, I surveyed most of the theories. I mean, I think you're right that they break down basically into two camps. And one is the help Trump. It's for politics stuff. And it's and one is well the three, right? It's grift and no one believes it. It's political strategy and nobody believes it. And it's serious and they actually believe it, right? Those are the three main ones. I think the Venn diagrams, I'm cribbing from the G-File I wrote about this, but I think the Venn diagrams overlap in all sorts of ways. And at the very center of it is Benny Johnson. Benny Johnson is a social media influencer. He got a start at BuzzFeed. He lost his job because it turned out that over 10% of his writings had been grotesquely plagiarized. And, uh, and then he bounced around the right wing, the right wing of sphere doing various things, including a brief stint at National Review where I met him. Nice guy did not strike me as the sort of fellow that was going to become the president of Mensa. The reason I single him out is, is there's a whole group of people, and this is the Eric Erickson argument. There's a whole group of people who, uh, for the, so Erickson makes the most forthright grifter argument, which is that these people just want to prove they can get things trending. They want to prove they can get stuff injected into the media bloodstream and, um, and, they don't really care what the content is. They just care about being able to take credit for it. I think there, for some people, that's absolutely true. I think Hannity and those guys are, they think they're helping Trump by doing this, either electorally or psychologically, because Trump apparently is moping like a big dog whose food bowl has been moved um, about the fact that people think Taylor Swift is more popular than him. We can put a pin in that for a second because I think that strategy is incandescently stupid. I mean, it is so stupid. You can see it at night from space. It's so brightly idiotic. The thing I'd point out is that for some people, these are all false choices because they traffic in this stuff so much, they convince themselves it's true. And the feedback they get from their audiences is, oh, you gotta, you gotta keep investigating. This is just the beginning. This is the tip of the iceberg. And um, that's the feedback that they get. The people who think they're crazy don't pay any attention to them and don't give them any feedback. And so this echo chamber thing, you look long enough into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. And so I think that one of the things, and this is sort of Ross Douthat's argument in the New York Times, the almost Freudian death wish among a lot of people on the right to be just freaking weird and stupid is so powerful that they... They've overinterpreted the. They've overlearned the lessons of 2016, and the the logic of that is you have to attack things that are popular. You have to attack things that have respect. They have to attack institutions that have legitimacy and credibility, because otherwise it doesn't look like you're heroically taking on things. And basically, because of all of the corrosive bullshit that the left and right have have done to delegitimize all sorts of institutions in this country. We're left, like the only thing standing amidst the rubble is Taylor Swift and the NFL. And that's what they're going for, because that will still get a rise out of people's like, don't dare attack Taylor Swift. Don't you dare attack the NFL. Um, you know, you can attack Pfizer all day long. No one's going to pay attention to you. And so I, I, 
I just don't, I don't think it has to be all one and or, or all the other. For some individual people, it's all clearly a grift. But, and for other people, it's clear that they're crazy. But for most of them, it's like Alex Jones. You just don't know where the chocolate ends and the peanut butter begins because it's both. All right, Mike. Yeah. yeah. I <laughs> what mean, do you think? I mean, I, I'm sort of uh, prescribing the rule of goats uh, to all to this question, and I'll bowderize it uh, for our podcast audience. But you know, if if you are the rule of goats is you know if you are having carnal relations with a goat for for controversy and for laughs and for like for you know to own the libs or whatever like at the end of the day you're still somebody who has carnal relations with goats um <laughs> so in a way it doesn't really matter to me Fair. whether they believe it or not um but i, I do think I, I fall more on the grifter side of things and and it may not even be a conscious grift i that this is where i am i think yeah like jonah says like a lot of this is the feedback from your most ardent audience and i think it's important to actually uh, dissect what like the the different to mix my metaphors here dissect the different streams of conspiracy theory and kind of like urban legend stuff that's going on here so so a big part of this comes out of a, a an idea that the nfl itself is uh is written i mean you will say if if, if you have it, it, this is a sort of it is like professional wrestling in that it's, oh yes the violence is real but the outcome is predetermined that's exactly. literally on on our fantasy football league that's our motto exactly so so like this is <laughs> and this is this sort of predates and, and is sort of separate from the from from any political Correct. element or 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 Taylor Swift element, like this is this idea. Whenever something happens that seems to follow a script, you will see among social media NFL watchers, you know, up oh, the writers really did a number with this one, um, and you know, this is all you could see this in the one of the memes that came has come up in the last few years is the Super Bowl logo, which is of course you know created before you know the season begins. Um, you know, the, 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 the two color schemes in the Super Bowl logo predict accurately who, which two teams will play in the Super Bowl. Of course, it didn't happen this year because everybody thought it would be the Ravens because there was purple, but the Ravens aren't in the Super Bowl. And also, if you were going to have this grand conspiracy theory, you probably wouldn't have little Easter eggs around. Yeah, but th it's so much more fun. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like the Beatles putting in the Paul is dead uh, yeah, but the Beatles stuff. wouldn't be committing securities fraud. So there you go. Okay. Um, so, so like there's that. <laughs> now stream. he's being naive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so there's that. There is the, there is a sort of, again, it's not a conspiracy theory. There is a, among a set of NFL fans this season. Um, and I would suggest that maybe they're sort of a boomer set, largely male. Um, the, there, there is a kind of annoyance. That Taylor Swift is taking over the broadcasts of the Kansas City Chiefs games because the camera shows her on screen for probably a grand total of like four or five minutes uh, of of a three hour you know NFL broadcast. But that this is sort of there's like like sports fans have to grumble about something, and this is the thing that they're grumbling. Oh, you know, like I I have relatives. <laughs> of mine who you know will say will grumble oh we we the chiefs can't win cuz i'm sick of seeing taylor swift and i don't think there's even a political element here it's a it's a kind of uh you know old man you know yells at cloud kind of aspect to it um the ruin in the game by making it all about taylor swift even though they're not really making it about taylor swift they're just pointing it out because again she's the most famous person 
in the world right now. Well, and also, correctly, you know, like, because this is part of the problem with to borrow one of David's favorite lines from Ted Lazo. There's a problem when you're dealing with people who have the memories of goldfish. <laughs> is like they don't know that Taylor Swift was popular before right. this, right? They don't know that that Travis Kelsey was was well known and accomplished before this, right? They don't seem to remember that Taylor Swift is not the first celebrity to be in the stands or in a skybox right. or courtside for the cameras to turn to during a game. I mean, does anyone remember like Jack Nicholson at the Lakers in the 1980s? I was going to say, but, but this is so different than Jack Nicholson because... Because she's easier on the eyes. Yeah, well, because Jack Nicholson <laughs> yeah, was a dude rooting for the team the same way as all the dudes watching the game. Sure. Part of the issue here is that now, I forget the number, 46% of people watching the NFL are not dudes. And so you're like... <laughs> Relative. Lady fans. They're lady yeah, fans. They're lady Can you fans. believe it? And they're yelling at the sky is because fundamentally the game is changing a little when women start watching and becoming a marketing audience, basically. Well, and, sure. and this, is, this is another stream, which is kind of, there's like a battle of the sexes element of this, you know, which is like, um, oh, all these, all these lady fans didn't know that Travis Kelsey was an accomplished, you know, and then all, you know. All the all the women say, didn't you know that that Taylor Swift was popular before this? So, like, what I'm saying is, this is the audience. These are the streams that are going through the audience, and what I see happening is a kind of, uh, in the way that Trump has this ability, sort of preternatural ability to like tap into that that electric buzz that's going on in his audience. I think that's what the grifters are doing. They, they like, they have a sense that this stuff is out there in the ether and they kind of m mash it together with the, with the anti Pfizer, anti vax kind of, Oh, they're because, because Travis Kelsey is supportive of, and, and was doing PSAs to encourage people to get a vaccine. It's like, it's like they, they, they see it like all in this bowl and they kind of mix it up and, and pour out this terrible tasting cake from it and like serve it to their audience because they know that it, it'll get them, it, 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 it'll get everybody outraged. So that's really what's going on. There's, there's not so much of a, I don't really buy that there's a political element, uh, at the heart of it or, or sort of a political motivation at the heart of it, except in the most dedicated, uh, you know, uh, Trumpsters online. Yeah. Well, I so, saw, right, so I wanted to put a pin in that before. So I'll take the pin out now. Um, mm. Brian Kilmeade went on Tara saying the dumbest thing Taylor Swift could do is alienate half the country by, um, you know, uh, endorsing one candidate over the other. And I'm normally very much a, entertainers should stay out of politics person. And I get the point and it's not a dumb point. Um, but she did in 2020. And since then she's grossed like over a billion dollars in concert tickets. So like the stakes are not what they think they are. And then, um, Sean Hannity straight up like warned her, you be the, you better not do this. You better think twice before doing this and that kind of thing. And I think there is a political angle to that stuff. I just think it is based on really bad analysis. It's so far downstream of like where, real people are on these or the people who would See, matter. I think you guys are a little bit wrong about this because in 2020, so a, a celebrity endorsing a Democratic candidate, eh, shrug. The right doesn't really care and they don't really notice because otherwise they wouldn't be able to go see movies or enjoy music or do anything else, right? So that alone does not alienate a celebrity's right-wing fan base. That is different than Donald Trump going after that celebrity. 
That actually can drive, I think, negatives in a totally and fundamentally different way. Now, what we've seen so far is right-wing trolly morons going after Taylor Swift for, again, being 35 and not a virgin or something. I don't think that's going to work very well, even among the like most ardent MAGA right. But we haven't seen Trump go after her yet. If he does, that'll change this a little. Okay, I have thoughts on that. Too. All right, so, like, I- I'm glad we reserved an extra two hours for this. So, um... <laughs> Strap in, folks. So, first of all, the stupidity, I just want to get it out there, the stupidity of what Hannity and... and I, I'll take Brian Kilmeade. I think he's being more sincere about it. But Hannity is basically, I mean, like Trump's hand actually goes up through Hannity's sphincter and moves his lips sometimes. So it's, it's he's much more of a puppet on this stuff. There's this thing called the Streisand effect, where by trying to silence something, you actually amplify it tenfold, right? By like by trying to get to avoid bad publicity, you actually make the publicity much worse. If you actually think, which I think we all do, that Taylor Swift's endorsement is inevitable, saying, but locking in to say, oh, well, it's clearly a DOD PSYOP slash Pfizer deep state operation, um, all orchestrated by Biden who rigged the NFL, and you get all these people to lock into it, it guarantees there's going to be a lot more attention on it than there otherwise would. So I just think it's dumb on that level. On your point, Sarah, I think you're right. It could cause problems for Taylor Swift. That said, do we honestly think Trump gains more voters than he loses by attacking Taylor Swift? I mean, he attacked the Pope at one point and then kind of like walked away from that because it turns out that like attacking the Pope is like not great politics. Um, And so like he goes after Taylor Swift. He polarizes Taylor Swift. If you you know, when you polarize Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift polarizes you. And it just doesn't seem to me obvious that while Taylor Swift could take damages from that, right, she could lose, I don't know, 10% of her ticket sales, maybe, which she wouldn't lose, right? It's just like her ticket sales would drop in price enough and then be sucked up by other people. It's not like there'd be empty seats. Meanwhile, um, what voters does Donald Trump gain by going after Taylor Swift? Going after a 34-year-old attractive 34-year-old girl in um, basically a Hallmark card movie romantic relationship with a football player. I, I don't get it, right? I mean, I, and, and I think that's the biggest problem with all of the stupidity of this is it's just not the politics of addition. I mean, tell me what you, you, you know, you're the big defender of demonizing Taylor Swift here. Uh, what, what are the, uh, what is the politics of addition here? What's the upside for Trump in this? I'm not saying that what's the downside for Taylor Swift, right? Because it's the goats problem to a certain extent. When you get mixed up with Trump, you get goat on you. But like, uh, what's the, what's the, what's the down, down, what's the upside for Trump? So I, there's no downside for Trump, I guess, is the point. I don't think he loses voters by attacking Taylor Swift. I think you're right. I don't think he gains any voters by attacking Taylor Swift. But there's a reason that I don't think he's attacked her yet, which is he's already in the news plenty. Just wait until he's not in the news, right? For the same reason that we've talked about the grifters attaching themselves to this story, because it gives them relevance. If Donald Trump, for some reason, drops off the radar because Joe Biden... I don't know, does something that puts him in the news, I'll I'll bet you a shiny nickel that all of a sudden Trump sees Taylor Swift as a really interesting avenue for attack. Can I can I just say one more thing? What we're talking about here, like Taylor Swift has not done 
anything. Like, this is all about. She's fallen pre- in love, Mike. Well, okay, which is great. I, I'm I'm so happy for her. But like, she's not done anything. She, I mean, yes, she endorsed Biden in 2020, and it seems like that's what she's going to do. And she'll she'll they'll they'll have some kind of. But like, she's literally gone to her board. As one guy said, she's going to endorse Biden. That's going to cause World War Three, and millions of people will die because of Taylor Swift. So she's already pre-killed millions of people, Mike. Oh, I, there's, there's one other theory here. So I, I, yes, the other problem is there's one group of people who think that false idols have dangerous power, and that's idolaters, <laughs> right? And so the the sort of Trump worshippers who think celebrity is a superpower are freaked out by Taylor Swift's celebrity, and they think it has more power than it does. Than it does because they think that's the source of Trump's power. Yeah, no, I, I, there's a very strong sort of members of the ball cult being really upset about the cult of Athena and like, how dare they use their, leverage their celebrity. Only the former star of a reality TV show can do that kind of thing. You know. And by the way, don't forget the left actually has generally been very mad at Taylor Swift because she has not inserted herself into political fights right. where they feel like she should have. There are and people who think she could have ended the, she could have gotten a ceasefire. I mean, you see it on Twitter right. all the time. She could you know? have gotten a ceasefire. She could have prevented Roe v. Wade from being overturned. Again, there's like a whole left wing. They're not really conspiracy theories. They're just mad at her about it. Yeah. And as best I can tell, um, the, I mean, this is part of her popularity, right? Taylor Swift is a, you know, quirky, kind, weird child celebrity who didn't lose it. And so everyone's rooting for her and they're rooting for her to find happiness. And she seems to have actually found it. And, you know, for everyone out there listening who's like, okay, but why haven't you mentioned the obvious fact that it's a whole bunch of 12-year-old girls who can't vote? No, Taylor Swift's average fan base is a 34-year-old woman or even older because that woman has daughters and she's now discovered Taylor Swift through her daughters and it's a way to bond with her daughters. I've heard a lot of dads talk about that as well. Dads of daughters. I mean, as someone who has sons, I guess I'll never really experience that intergenerational joy of Taylor Swift. But nevertheless, I, can, can I just can I use this as an opportunity to tell my Taylor Swift story, which is yes, which 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 I think both you call your it your point. Taylor Swift truth. I mean, I just would prefer mm, that. But yeah, yeah it is. It is. Um, she she'll 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 put it into a song after uh, after hearing. No, so no, no, it's not. It's not like that. Uh, no, no. In So the year is 2007. I'm in uh, college. Uh, and. Uh, Taylor Swift shows up at my fraternity house um, on a on a football um, uh, game day tailgate uh, morning, uh, and the reason is so. So I went to the school in Nashville at Vanderbilt, and um, at the time, I don't think she was living in Nashville. She was still a country star uh, on the rise, and uh, the reason she was there was because her, I think, her manager's daughter hung out at our house. Um, and, uh, and so she was like there. And anyway, the point is, is that she was nowhere near the superstar that she is now or even close, but it was very clear she was on the cusp of it because she didn't want anything to do with you. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that did not prove that. And I proved a lot of other things about myself. No. Uh, so she shows up and immediately nearly every single, uh, girl at the house, hanging out the house, swarms her to get pictures again she's not she, i think she had one hit song at that point uh and all of us guys 
are standing on the deck looking at her and looking at the scene, like kind of dumbstruck, like, what is this? What's going on? And like, that is, we should have known. We should have seen what was coming. Uh, And so that's my Taylor Swift story. So Teardrops on My Guitar came out in 2006. So she was almost at her peak initial popularity in 2007, which is sort of interesting. I guess so. This was, this was, yeah, well, uh, maybe Tim McGraw had come out by that point, but she had not done any of the poppy country stuff. The crossover stuff. The crossover, yeah. Had not started yet, um, but we we should have seen what was coming. Well, now I'm curious. Let's see. Tim McGraw came out in also 2006. It's the same album. So yeah. So like that album came out in 2006, which is what I mean. Like she's at the Country. peak of her yeah. initial ingenue stardom. Yeah. She was, she was like nine, she was like 17 or 18 years old at that point. I was going to say, I don't no, I don't think she was 19, oh, Mike. Please. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> no chance of that. Speaking of goats. All right. I think it's time to wrap this podcast up. <laughs> Uh-huh. You're the one who wanted to tell your Taylor Swift story so badly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, thank you for joining. We're sorry. The other three hours of the Taylor Swift conversation will be available to members on the skiff. I'm just kidding. I know Adam would want me to do that then. And then I would be stuck with Jonah talking about Taylor Swift for three hours. Who can't name more than like two songs by her. You know, there's Jonah. This is your time. Go. I know. I know. This is like what? Like, see what you made me do. Uh, That's the only one you know. Well, I only know it because they put it as the headline (laughs) on my G file yesterday. I didn't know it beforehand. No. Uh, But hey, look, I was just on the skiff for the book club talking about a book I hadn't read. So like, who's to say I can't be on about talking about Taylor Swift? We would never listen to. I watched that Bad Blood video a few times. I will say that, you know, but I'm excited for her era's concert movie to come out on rental where it's not 20 bucks. 20 bucks is like a little more than I'm willing to pay to watch it. But $5.99, I'm willing to pay that. We'll By see. the way, this all this all reminds me of one of my favorite journalism jokes, which is somebody asks you about, about a book. Uh, if you've read it, you say, read it. I haven't even reviewed it. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to do a, a book review where all the quotes come from the, the, the flap jacket. <laughs> And like page I I I V, <laughs> as it says in the bio, uh, you can learn everything you need to know about this book on page I I. <laughs> we didn't do have a the not worth your time, so I figured we had time for 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 credit roll banter. Oh no, the not worth your time was definitely Mike's story about Taylor, <laughs> and it was Swift. not worth your time. I'm sorry. Fair, but now fair. I do want to see a picture of Mike. When I just have was, a, I do have I do have a photo of her walking no, out. No, I want to see a photo of you at that age. I'm just now really uh, curious. We, won't sh- what we, won't, we don't need to Mike that. the frat star looked like. <laughs> Weren't you the one saying that your kids call you bruh? Yeah, but that's a that that is uh that is entirely what all nine year old boys say. Uh, is that right? Authority figures, bruh. Oh, bruh. Are they going to call me bruh? Like my boys? We'll see. Oh no. So when I um I created a group text for like my closest dude friends and um 
and I just, the group text is called The Boys. And when my daughter saw this in like 10th grade, she was, she rolled her eyes and she was like, dad, you know, every single 14 year old boy in America calls the group text with their friends, the boys. <laughs> and I was like, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. And <laughs> I'm not used to having eye rolling, being on the receiving end of eye rolling scorn from my daughter okay. for being so juvenile about this kind of thing. So uh, anyway, I always think about that. Well, my son was up from three to six last night, and I would like to give you a every 10 minute rendition of the complaints. One was, <laughs> my tummy's rumbling. I need apple slices. So I brought up apple slices. But he said that was too many apple slices. He only wanted one apple slice. And then I gave him one apple slice. And then he told me he needed more apple slices. <laughs> Another one was, <laughs> my cheek is cold. <laughs> is he sick? Nope. Nope. He you'll, you'll be, sick. you'll be, Sarah, you'll be wishing for this when he starts calling you bruh in a few years. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was such a long night. I can't even <laughs> tell you. I was not at my best parenting because I am sick. And so every 10 minutes I had to walk in with some new interesting complaint. And if you're wondering why I kept walking in, it's because one of them was I wet my bed and it, the whole thing was soaking wet. So like, and then I, I skinned my finger trying to change. It. I mean, it, I've had a night y'all. That's rough. <laughs> At least a little one sleeps. That kind of, it probably explains why, I mean, Adam can probably take it out of the podcast before this is, but it explains why you were speaking in tongues for like a full 20 minutes <laughs> and we just let you go. It was weird, but yeah, we just kind of sat back. And Super weird. <laughs> And like, where'd you get those snakes? Why? Are, what's going on? It's, it was the whole thing was strange, but you know, it was entertaining. Speaking Jonah's of Jonah's hair is in a whole different time zone today from it where is. It usually is. It's, yeah, it's because I had my um my Duff hat on earlier. And, nice. uh, Duff man. <laughs> all right, we're really going. This is it. You all got your skiff. It's but skiffs are usually better than this. Much, but better, not much better. Sure. No, not much better. Uh, be Marginally better. better. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I didn't mean you. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Make it end. Everyone's so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. (laughs)